It's been said that, of course, none of us would be here without our moms. So I hope that today, if you can, you'll at least celebrate and honor your moms, give them a call, give them some flowers, give them some encouragement. In our midst here at the bridge, we also have an increasing group of mothers, and we'd like to take a moment to just to recognize them and honor them for all their hard labor, for their sacrifices, and for their love. So at this time, if I may, I'd like to invite all the moms in our ministry to come forward, and if you would stand here so that we can recognize you, pray for you, and gift you. So let's give them a hand as they come up. All the moms, please. Even if you're visiting and you're a mom, come on up. We'd like to recognize you. There's more here, I thought. Come on down. Don't be shy. If you're in the nursery, for example, if you could come out, if you're in the infant room, please come and join us. Mothers, I know that this may be inconvenient time for you, but please come. Hopefully more will come. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take a picture here. Moms, on behalf of the bridge, we just want to say thank you for your sacrifice, for your commitment, for your love. This is a small token of our appreciation to you and for you, and we want you to know that we will be praying for you and supporting you as much as we can. So let me just pray a prayer of blessing for you, and then we'll go ahead and continue on. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these moms. Lord, they have labored long and they have labored hard. But, Lord, they have done a wonderful job, and we thank you for gifting them with children. We thank you for blessing those children with these moms. And today, Lord, as we celebrate, Lord, to help it not to be singleized as only one day, but help it to be the beginning for us to start the yearly appreciation for all that our mothers do for us. We are all thankful and indebted to our moms for raising us, birthing us, and nurturing us. And so, Lord, today we want to give back, and to these moms especially, to bless them, to encourage them. And, Lord, thank you again for them, and thank you for the increasing number of moms that we have in our ministry as well. We look forward to not only having them, but their children as well as we care for them well, here with the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again. We love you, and all God's people said, amen. All right, let's give them a wonderful hand one more time. All right. We're continuing on in our series on Jesus, the servant of the Lord. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to be looking at yet another episode that continues on this whole motif of what Jesus does in the Gospel of Mark. We said that there are three things that marked this particular Gospel. One, it's the fast Gospel. And the word immediately shows up time and time again, as well as in today's passage. Secondly, we saw that Jesus is the one who does miracles. That although miracles are found in all of the Gospels, Mark's Gospel in particular has the highest concentration of miracles that are all signs 
that point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And third and finally, Jesus is seen here in the motif as the servant of the Lord. Mark 10, 45 again being the key verse that indicates that he came not to be, not to ser- not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, as we look at our passage in Mark 2, 1 through 12, we're going to be looking at Jesus, the divine healer and forgiver. Would you bow with me as we pray and ask the Lord to guide our time together? Thank you that we can be here together today. Thank you for this time that you have allotted for us to spend with you, to be in your word, to see the model life of Jesus of how he lived and thus how we can mimic his life, a life of faith. Thank you again that we've had this time to worship you, and now we want to give of you to not only our offering, but our hearts as we understand who Jesus was and how he is powerful and mighty and alive today in our lives. God, me now as I handle your word that I'd be careful and clear. We want to commit our time to you now and thank you in advance, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Our Bible reading now comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me read this passage to you. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to him, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus is continuing on in his healing campaign. And as we come to this particular paragraph, we're going to be looking at three points this morning in our outline. First, number one, stretcher bearers for life, verses one through five. Secondly, sins for forgiveness, verses six through eight. And finally, signs for authority, verses 9 through 12. In this first section, number one, stretcher bearers for life, we see a familiar story. Jesus is healing everyone all over the city. And he's situated in a house at this time. And it turns out that people were coming to the door, so much so that no one else could enter in. Now what happens is, in comes this paralytic who is obviously not able to walk, so he is being carried, verse 3 tells us, by four men. 
As they got near to the door, because of the crowd, they realized there's no way they could get in. They would not be able to have counsel with Jesus and thus not be healed. As a result, they were quick thinking. So what they did is they went to the roof, they removed the roof above him, and they lowered him down. As a result, Jesus now does his thing. Now let me be clear here. The Gospels, the focus of the Gospels is always on Jesus. He's the primary character. And, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I mean, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which all emphasize Jesus. Jesus in different vignettes. Matthew is Jesus is the king. John as Jesus is the son of God. Luke is Jesus is the son of man. And then Mark is Jesus as the servant. But there are other characters, secondary and tertiary. And here we have an episode where we have a secondary character, the paralytic, and tertiary characters, the four men who are laying him down as a result. And so I want to take a moment here because I think it's interesting to see how the secondary and tertiary characters really play into the plot of the story as Jesus will do his thing in just a moment. Now, I want to focus for just a moment on the four men, the people who were carrying the paralytic. These were obviously people who were friends of the paralytic. They had heard about Jesus' healing campaign, so they're now bringing this friend to the house. But as they saw the house, that there was no entranceway, they had to think quickly. As I looked at this story carefully and was thinking about it, there were three characteristics that I saw about these four friends. Number one, they were caring and sacrificial. They carried this guy from however far away, and they wanted to make sure that Jesus would be able to see this paralytic to try and heal him. Secondly, though, as they saw that they could not get in, they were creative and unrelenting. They thought, oh boy, we can't go through the front. How else are we going to do this? And so lastly, they were strong, physically strong, and they were bold. They found a way to have counsel with Jesus. And as a result, you know the story. They have cut a hole in the ceiling, and back then Palestinian homes were kind of clay-bound, so it would have been hard to do that. But could you imagine if you're in the house, and all of a sudden you hear something above, and you see this hole, and all of a sudden these guys are lowering this person on a stretcher. And you're thinking, wow. What's going on here? These men were stretcher bearers for the life of the paralytic. And I think there's an important lesson to be found here in relation to these stretcher bearers. They were friends. They were people who cared for this paralytic, so much so that they would be sacrificial, they would be creative, and they were unrelenting. As I focused on this idea I really thought about this important concept about friends. And so I would ask you this question. Who would be your stretcher bearers if you needed people to come alongside to help you and to guide you? For some of us, maybe we bought into a different motif. This idea that I don't need friends. I'm a loner. I can do this by myself. I am self-sufficient. This reminds me of a famous song that came out in the 60s by Simon and Garfunkel. The song is entitled, I Am a Rock. Take a look at these lyrics. This is the second verse, and it's quite interesting. It says, I've built walls, 
a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Now, I get it. I understand that maybe some of you, through virtue of different relationships, perhaps painful relationships, you don't want to experience having, quote, friends again. But let me say to you that the thrust of Scripture really encourages us to be in community with one another. That the body of Christ, the people of God, the family of God, share life together to encourage and to be there for one another. So let me ask the question again, who would be your stretcher bearers? I am fortunate that I myself have a number of stretcher bearers in my different circles, at Talbot, at church, and other pastoral friends. This diagram that you're looking at didn't turn out as I was hoping. It's supposed to be a stretcher. So it again shows you how artistic I am. I apologize for that. In advance. But just use your imagination for a moment that each one of the corners has a handle that would have a, an opportunity for someone to grab onto. Here's the question for you. Who would grab onto each handle for you? Who would be your stretcher bearer? If you needed a time of, of help, who would you call? Who would you text? Who would you private message to say, I need someone to come at this moment at any hour of the day, in any circumstance, and without question, they would be there because they care, because they would sacrifice, and because they're faithful to you. Obviously, Jesus is our friend, our forever friend, but he also calls us to have other earthly friends who will be our stretcher bearers for life. Let's go to our second point, sins for forgiveness. What's interesting now is the statement at the end of verse 5 that startles the people. Obviously, the immediate need for the paralytic was that he would be healed of his paralysis. But instead, verse 5, when Jesus saw not only the paralytic but the faith of the four, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Huh. You would think he would say, well, your paralysis is gone. Just get up immediately and walk. But instead of doing that, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this causes a stir because now it's controversial. Verse 6 tells us the scribes, scribes were lawyers of the first century. They were sitting there and they were like pontificating. They're questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? And they say, he is blaspheming. Now, that's not a word we use too often today, but in the first century, to blaspheme meant to claim something that you were not. And specifically, it was making a claim of deity. Because obviously here he says in verse 6 and 7 again, who can forgive sins but God alone? Everyone knew this. That was a religious gesture that only someone who would be God would be able to do. Now, we can't see the emotion, per se, in the text, but we can feel it. They are getting upset. They're thinking, who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he can make that claim? A claim to heal and for that person also, most of all, to be forgiven of their sins. Verse 8 tells us, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had questioned 
within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Huh. Jesus knew that they had unbelief. And, and maybe not just of Jesus, but perhaps that anyone could heal someone like a paralytic. They doubted the claim. They were unsure that anyone could do this, even though, surprisingly, there were many people around who were being healed. Let me ask you a question. You may say you believe in Jesus, and I hope you do. Historically, it's verifiable. But I wonder if we believe in the power of Jesus. Do we really think that Jesus can do all that he claimed to do? To heal, to forgive. And if you're unsure, let me just draw you back to Easter. He died and he rose again. That was quite significant. And that in itself, the historical event of the resurrection should be verification and validation that Jesus is all who, who he is. Last night as I was part of the Biola graduation, the commencement speaker was a very unique person. Her name was Lindsay Snyder Ellington. She is the owner of In-N-Out. She shared an incredible story. She's a young woman, probably in her 40s, and she shared the story about her pain. Her grandparents were the founders of the first In-N-Out, which is in Baldwin Park. And what happened is when they passed on, then they gave it to her dad. And Lindsay is an only child. Her dad tragically died accidentally in an operating table. And so the franchise was passed on to her uncle. And you might recall this, but a few years ago, her uncle tragically died in a plane accident. And now all of a sudden, Lindsay inherits in and out. In her story last night, she shared this, that she had been abused by men. She had taken drugs. She was an alcoholic. She'd gone through three divorces. She'd experienced the tragic loss of her father and her uncle. And all of a sudden, she inherits this huge billion-dollar franchise. She didn't know what to do, and she didn't know where to turn. Fortunately, she remembered the teaching of her grandparents. And her parents and grandparents would only say these two words, Jesus saves. As a result, when she remembered that, she turned everything around. She gave her life back to the Lord. She believed that God would heal her of all her pain. She believed that God would use her despite all her brokenness. You could hear the tears in the audience as she was sharing. She was not an eloquent speaker, but what she said was just really straight to the heart. She said, God forgave me for everything, every time. Wow. People were stunned. I was stunned. And as she shared, she said, now in six states, 340 franchises, and a worth estimated $3 billion dollars God is using her now to be a kingdom changer for the gospel of Christ. That's a message of hope, folks. It's a message that says, I believe that Jesus can do all that he claims to do. He forgives. 
he restores and he heals. Is that something you need this morning? Healing, forgiveness, restoration? If so, Jesus is the only one who can do this. And he promises to do it for someone like Lindsay and for someone like you. Let's go to our third and final point. Signs for authority. Jesus, being masterful at rhetoric, he says back to these scribes who were doubting, verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. I mean, anyone can just say, oh, your sins are forgiven, and then just walk away and, yeah, it might have been forgiven, I don't know. But see, remember that we talked about miracles. Miracles were signs. And the signs were validation and verification of who the Messiah was. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would come and do these miracles. And so when Jesus shows up and he claims to be the Messiah, how would a person test whether that's true or not? The answer is through these miracles. So now there are doubters. These scribes are saying, okay, what's going on here? And Jesus says, okay, let me show you then, which is easier, just to say your sins are forgiven or to rise, take up your bed, and walk. Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, to be who he claims to be, God. He now says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And you know the story, verse 12. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus shows up. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus has authority all over all of mankind, all of all of nature. He has the power. And for some of you this morning, perhaps all you need, which is yet pretty significant, is forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus has the authority to forgive. And when Jesus forgives, he also restores us. You have to understand this, okay? That we and ourselves, we have gotten ourselves in a mess. And so when you think about these self-help things, they're kind of perhaps absurd. Can we help ourselves after we've gotten ourselves in a mess? Possibly. But if you've ever been to any of the step groups, whether 12 steps, they'll always say that there's a power greater or higher than oneself that one can draw upon to be able to get out of the mess. I say to you this morning, that power is Jesus. That the person of the Holy Spirit who comes into us, who reminds us and helps us, that the truth of the gospel will set us free so that when we're free and free indeed, then Jesus takes over. We become like him. We have record of him. And we have the power for him through the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. And so I say to you this morning, if you want a miracle in your life, I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to knock you on the head or do any of that stuff. I'm just going to invite you to come to Jesus, to say, Lord, <laughs> I'm a mess. I, I need him. If Jesus saves, I'm going to trust that and see what he does with my life.
As we close our time, I have three questions of application in our central truth. Here we go. Number one, going back to the whole stretcher bearers for life idea, do you have accountability with anyone? Do you have stretcher bearers who you could come to for your aid in an instance if you needed someone to get, get your back? Who are they? And let me just say, rather than just looking at yourself and saying, I don't have anyone, ask someone this week to be your stretcher bearer. Someone in your comm group, someone that you have history with, Say literally those words, would you please be my stretcher bearer? And get their number so that maybe on speed dial you can call them in a time of immediacy. Question number two, know that Jesus forgives us of our sins. That's what he does. And only he can forgive us. And this is what we see in this claim here. It was an amazing claim that he backed up with the sigh, which was the miracle. The fact that Jesus forgives us, that's one of the main reasons that he died on the cross, to take away our sins. Do we believe this with all of our heart? Why or why not? Let me say this. God is trustworthy, and he will do what he says. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I believe God is waiting to use some of you, and the only thing that's holding you back is you and your sin. So I say to you, release that to him. Let him forgive you. Let him restore you. And let him use you for his glory. Question number three, are we convinced, even convicted, even that Jesus is all who he claims to be? If we were, how would that impact our lives differently today? Please give specific examples. Some of us, we like our comfort, and, and I do too. I'm not, you're not the only ones. But sometimes we just need to step out in faith. And faith is not a blind faith, or it's not a leap of faith. It's a trust. It's a trust that Jesus has our back. That when we go to places that are not comfortable, when we have to take a step of boldness, that we would be willing to do this. And sometimes it's thinking outside the box, just like the four stretcher bearers. They're like, we can't get in. Now let's give up. Let's go home. No, they didn't do that. They were unrelenting. They said, we've got to see Jesus. We know he can do something for our friend. Is that the urgency? Is that the priority that you have as you live your life? Not a plain, static life, but a radical faith that moves you to do something for the cause of Christ. Here's our central truth, and we'll close with this. Jesus shares about the importance of having stretcher bearers to bring us to Jesus in order for us to know that he can and will forgive us all of our sins every time and for everything because Jesus is the divine healer and forgiver. One more time. Jesus shares about the importance of having stretcher bearers to bring us to Jesus in order for us to know that he can and will forgive us of all of our sins every time and for everything, because Jesus is the divine healer and forgiver. I hope this is a strong amen for you today, and I hope that you will live this today and tomorrow and every day as we give glory to Jesus. Let's pray as we close our time. Take a moment to reflect a moment to thank God 
for those of you who have relationship with him, that he saved you. That he gave you not only the miracle of life physically, but the miracle of eternal life eternally. Thank him. Praise him for that. But understand that there's not just a quantitative dimension of eternal life, a long time, but there's a qualitative dimension of an abundant life that Jesus has intended for you. And so I say to you this morning, would you live that abundant life under the lordship of Christ? He fully forgives you. He fully restores you so that you would live purposely for the will of God. Lord's Prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he calls you and I to submit to him under his kingdom rule and reign so that Jesus would be known to a world that is not paying attention to him, that scorns him. Would you be those winsome representatives, those witnesses who say, yes, Jesus is alive. Just like Lindsay, you could say, Jesus saved me out of the miry pit, transformed my brokenness and put me back together and helps me now to live a life, a life now that is full and abundant because of Jesus. Oh, I pray for you, friends, visitors, members of the bridge, that our lives would be fully given over to Christ in that way, that we would honor him, that we would represent him well, that our lives clearly show not only the appearance but the fragrance of Christ in all that we do. Thank you, Jesus, for today. Thank you for every day. We yield our lives to you so that you would rule and reign, that you would have your way with us, and that as we live and all that we do at work, at home, and relationship will be done in your name and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.